1: I'm Josh Hammer. Welcome back. We will be joined shortly by Kurt Schlichter. Kurt is an attorney out in the Los Angeles area. He is also a senior columnist for Town Hall and a prolific conservative commentator. In general, we look forward to a great conversation with Kurt. I have a sneaking suspicion, based <laughs> based on his recent tweets and what I've heard from him, that he's not going to waste a whole lot of time and want to dive into Iowa in 2024, Trump, DeSantis, all of that stuff. But, Until then, we feel on this program a need to push back to something that was said on a different program last week. So this past Thursday, Mark Levin, the longtime syndicated radio host on the right, attacked yours truly in in fairly personal terms on his nationally syndicated radio show last Thursday. So Mark, if you recall, going back to early January, around the time that Kevin McCarthy was fighting for his political life, in a race that went God knows how many ballots. And there was this group of 20 conservative Republican congressmen who were opposing Kevin McCarthy, ultimately hoping to extract various concessions from him. This was a group led by folks like Andy Biggs of Arizona, Chip Roy of Texas, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, folks like that. You know, if you recall around that time, there were some, and we had Eric Erickson of Georgia on as a guest on this show to talk about it all, but there were some in the conservative commentary space at that time, who were really, really harsh on this group of 20 conservative Republican congressmen, on this group of House Freedom Caucus warriors, who saw someone in Kevin McCarthy who has really had career advancement as his number one priority going back to the days since he was on the cover of the, the GOP Young Guns program, along with Paul Ryan and Eric Cantor. That was a a book that circulated around around the time of the Tea Party era or so, 2011, 2012 or so. And there were a lot of us who saw Kevin McCarthy's anointment as the next Speaker of the House after Republicans retook their slim majority and said, not so fast. Maybe it is actually worth trying to see if we can extract more concessions from him. And sure enough, that is actually exactly what these congressmen did. So over the course of a series of... Of ballots they were ultimately able to force kevin mccarthy to yield and you know i was actually talking i won't say his or her name but i was talking with one of the group of 20 congressmen recently and he or she was telling me about how important it is that some of these concessions and let's put some flesh on the bones here so, you know, one major concession would be the fact that conservatives now have multiple members on the House Rules Committee, which is arguably the single most important committee in the entirety of the U.S. House. It is a committee that is indispensable for being able to control the flow of legislation on the floor, what, what advances to the House floor and when extremely, extremely important tools. Conservatives did not have that Prior to this battle with Kevin McCarthy in early January, now they have multiple members on the House Rules Committee. They have much higher voice. You can talk about Kevin McCarthy's commitments that he gave to his dissenters when it comes to spending, when it comes to the debt ceiling. We're obviously currently in the midst of a debt ceiling fight right now. And also, also, of course, the return of the single member motion to vacate. Okay, all that is to say that conservatives actually ended up winning. This fight with Kevin McCarthy that ultimately, of course, resulted in Kevin McCarthy being the Speaker of the House. And, you know, I agree with Mark Levin that Kevin McCarthy thus far has actually been a fairly good Speaker of the House. I mean, when it comes to the weaponization of the government committee, when it comes to what appears to be kind of his fairly firm stance on the debt ceiling fight, we'll see how that ultimately unfolds. He, of course, was over uh, in Israel on the 75th birthday of the State of Israel. He was only the second House Speaker to give a speech in the Knesset over there after Newt Gingrich back in the late 1990s. Look, I mean, McCarthy has has done a lot of good. I'm not entirely sure that I that I agree with where he is on the on the Ukraine issue, which might, by the way, be part of the reason that Mark Levin, who has been a huge booster of that conflict, is actually kind of in all in pro McCarthy mode. But if you go back to early January, there were some leading conservative commentators that came out swinging against the House Freedom Caucus. And Mark Levin was probably the number one person who did so. He had excoriating words. For the House Freedom Caucus. Other folks like Sean Hannity were in there as well. A few others who, you know, maybe we can kind of dig up. But those are are really kind of two main guys who come to mind who were extremely harsh. I mean, Sean Hannity had this ridiculous interview with Congresswoman Lauren Boebert of Colorado, was like nails on a chalkboard awkward. I mean, he was basically saying, what are you doing here? And again, it worked out for the best. The reason. That Kevin McCarthy has been as good as he typically generally has been thus far as House Speaker is because he was pushed by conservatives and the return of this sort of Damocles of a single member motion to vacate hovering over his head. Are you kidding me? I mean, this should be so obvious. That is the reason that Kevin McCarthy has been executing his agenda or taking actions more generally in a fairly conservative fashion. It's not because he necessarily believes this in his DNA. It's in his blood. It's in in his kishkas. No, he's doing this because of the actual concessions he was forced to make and the fact that he was forced to fight for his political life back in early January. Nonetheless, on his show last Thursday, Mark Levin concluded that because Kevin McCarthy has been so good, therefore, those idiots, those Quote, pseudo-conservatives is what he called me. Those frauds, those phonies, those pathetic people. Yes, those are literally all the adjectives that Mark Levin used to describe yours truly in this unhinged monologue last Thursday. That therefore we were wrong all along. So he called me out by name. He also called out by name Drew White, a former Ted Cruz staffer and a longtime uh, confidant of, of the aforementioned Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. Drew wrote a piece for Newsweek's opinion section around the time that I had a column about this McCarthy fight, basically calling out the conservative commentators such as Levin and Hannity for being way too pro-McCarthy from the get-go. Uh, you know, side note, Mark, uh, you, you said that Drew White works for, quote, some foundation down in Texas. I believe you're referring to TBPF, the Texas Public Policy Foundation, for which Drew White has actually not worked in about five years or so now. But nonetheless, somehow we are pseudo-conservatives. We are phonies and frauds and pathetic for being skeptical of Kevin McCarthy and for pushing him further to the right.
0: The country's being turned inside out. That's what's going on. And if you dare to raise it, if you dare to say the obvious, if you dare to observe what's actually taking place, you will be attacked. You'll be attacked as a racist, as a white supremacist and all the rest. I'm comfortable in my skin. I am not a racist. I am not a white supremacist. And I will not be silenced. Not now, not ever. President Trump is exactly right. And he speaks out against this. And for good reason. Kevin McCarthy did as well this morning. I think we can agree, at least for now, can't we? That I was right about Kevin McCarthy. And all these other people, like Josh Hammer... At the failing Newsweek, a pseudo-conservative, Drew White at some Texas foundation, another fraud and phony. I think we can agree that I was right, and they were pathetic, and they still are. I mean, what an
1: absolutely obtuse stance. I mean, literally, in order to take that position, you have to implicitly argue that, that Kevin McCarthy's current behavior is in no way whatsoever shaped by the fact that he had this conservative revolt, his revol- this revolt from his right back in early January. And on the other hand, you also have to simultaneously implicitly argue that Kevin McCarthy would be better if this hadn't happened. I, I mean, it literally makes no sense. Like like the logic on this is just completely upside down. And it's really ironic for Mark Levin in particular, because Mark Levin likes to brag about the intelligence of his audience, but he is being actively deceptive and misleading here. He is literally lying to them. He is absolutely lying to them by pointing to someone like me, who is to Mark Levin's right by any discernible measure as a fraud, a pseudo-conservative, a phony. Look, uh, here's what's really going on here. You have this generational divide between the boomer cons, between this older generation of conservatives who kind of came up through the Reagan years, who saw Reagan's undeniably successful presidency, who saw U.S. triumph and victory in the Cold War and things like that, and who have forever been able to move on who have conflated principles with policies, who have conflated timeless principles with ad hoc policies that made place at a given time for a given purpose. This is the clash that we see playing out all over the place, whether it's in the commentariat space, whether it's in the political arena, even whether it's on the federal bench. On the federal bench where you have folks like my former boss, Judge Jim Ho, who along with Lisa Branch has decided to boycott law clerk hiring from Stanford and Yale, and they've gotten a lot of pushback from kind of the the boomercon kind of establishment wing of Republican nominated judges. So no matter where you look, you see this divide. You see this divide, and that is really what is going on here: is that Mark Levin hates what I have to say and what we have to say on this show because we fundamentally know what time it is in in America in a way that the boomer cons simply do not. In a way that Nikki Haley, people like that simply do not. We know what time it is on this show. We know that the exigencies of the moment... Call for a more muscular conservatism, for more nationalism, and yes, yes, a slightly more common good oriented hue, call it populist if you want to, when it comes to issues of political economy, when it comes to issues of trade, immigration, antitrust enforcement, and so forth, manufacturing reshoring. Fundamentally, again, what you see here is the boomer cons are unable to concede that they are out of touch with where the movement currently is and where it needs to go from here. Over a year ago, last January, I was contributing to a symposium for the New Criterion, the Conservative Journal, and I was responding to an essay from the former, thank goodness the former, Heritage Foundation, overly compensated flack, Kim Holmes, who is god-awful, and thank goodness he has gone from the Heritage Foundation. Again, Kevin Roberts, the new president, has done a great job there. And it, the title of my contribution to this symposium was yesterday's man, yesterday's conservatism. That was in response to the right liberalism of Kim Holmes. Well, the exact same thing could be said of Mark Levin. And it brings me like no particular joy to say this, by the way. You know, I came a political age reading Mark Levin's books. His book, Liberty and Tyranny, had a huge, huge influence on me. But at this point, the damage that the boomer con generation of conservative intellectuals, conservative elites are doing when it comes to this all-out stance in favor of Zelensky's absolutist approach to Ukrainian territorial integrity, when it comes to this apologia for Kevin McCarthy, this grotesque and absurd revisionist history when it comes to the fight in early January, so many of these boomer cons are at this point doing more harm than good. Yesterday's man, yesterday's conservatism. That are our opening thoughts on Mark Levin's unhinged attack on yours truly last Thursday. So let's take it to a quick commercial break. On the other side, we're going to bring on Kurt Schlichter, the great senior columnist at Town Hall, for I think a very different conversation than what we just had. So stay with us. We'll be right back with Kurt. Welcome back. So today we have the great Kurt Schlichter. Kurt is an attorney out in California and a senior columnist for Town Hall, where I have been reading his tirades for a very long time now. So, Kurt, this is long overdue. You're one of my favorite voices in our movement. Thank you so much for joining us this week.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So first question right out of the gate. Brother, you are in Southern California. What the hell are you still doing there? You know, the water is pretty warm over here in Florida, I got to say.
2: Well, um, you know, I, I I had some things in my life that have uh, uh, changed recently with the passing of my mom. So my options are uh, a, a lot wider. And uh, I wrote today in a, a town hall column um, about letting the blue cities die. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, considerations going into where people live. And uh, I am open to all options. But right now I'm I'm right here. I got a nice little corner office. I'm uh doing stuff and of course uh they don't let scumbags and losers in the kind of uh uh Trader Joe liberal neighborhood that I live in.
1: <laughs> well I'm sorry to hear uh, about your loss. Poor people. Uh, well, I, I'm very sorry to hear about your loss. I mean I'm also just giving you a hard time, obviously. I mean we were actually out at a wedding. Yeah, and-
2: everybody does. <laughs>
1: Now, we were, we were at a wedding out of Malibu in uh, late March, I think it was. I mean, absolutely stunning. I mean, when it comes to kind of sheer natural beauty, you obviously, yeah. you really just can't be California in general. The whole coast, honestly, North California, South California, really just great stuff. So, Kurt, I want to start at like a higher level and then we're kind of get to some more recent events, what's happening in the world and all that stuff. But let's start at a higher level because you really are someone who I've been reading for a while now. You are a lawyer, but you also are, are very active, to put it mildly, in the in the commentary space. Talk to me about the capital C conservative capital M movement, which, which you have been a car carry member of for a long time now. I mean, I, sometimes I think it's worth just kind of taking the, you know, zooming out a little bit and focusing on the broader picture. I mean, are we successful right now? Has this movement been successful over the course of your professional duration in it?
2: I think it's been pretty successful, but battles go back and forth campaigns don't always end in triumph immediately in a hundred hours. It's going to take time. And we're, we're against people who are dedicated in their own psychotic, weird freakish perverted way. (laughs) And they're just not going to give up. I mean, they're just not going to go, Oh wow. You're right. Socialism doesn't work. Oh, maybe it's a bad idea to have grown men in freaking thongs, twerking in front of children. Good points. Um, no, we're, we're we're going to have to defeat them, and that's one of the reasons I like Ron DeSantis. He understands that the way to beat the enemy is to beat them, not to not to compromise because there is no compromise. You know, it's like I want you dead. Why are you being you know you won't compromise? Well, you just want to grievously wound me. <laughs> no, look, I uh, look. These guys are my enemies, and I want to beat them. I want their dreams to die. I want them saddened and in pain. They're bad people and they deserve to lose. (laughs) And I think they're going to lose, but we're not going to win all the time. And anybody, they suck. They never do anything. Well, shut up. (laughs) I'm now taken to uh, like half my tweets are just shut up. (laughs) I I just I, I can't deal with stupid people anymore. And that's that's gotten me in a lot of trouble with some of the only Trump people. And I like I like Trump in a, in a, a macro sense. I, I like people who like Trump. Uh, and I have good friends who are convinced that Trump is the guy who's going to win in uh, 2024. And they're not idiots. I mean, they just see things differently than me. But I hate stupid stuff. I hate meatball. I hate Hilo Soros. You know, I just I I just hate all that and I just can't deal with it. So I have to slap them around. So there's there's a a a long tangent filled uh, diatribe about that. I'm not sure is responsive to your question.
1: (laughs) Well, look, I think anyone who follows you on Twitter knows that you can be pretty pugnacious and perhaps irascible, which to be clear, I would use the, those exact same words to describe myself. So I say that very much as a compliment, not as yeah,
2: that was you, a good. thing, Yeah.
1: Not as any kind of damning indignation or anything like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I was planning on kind of saving the, the whole Trump to Santa stuff for a little later. But since you kind of brought it up, I guess let's I guess let's dive right in. Um, I, talk to me first about kind of the evolution of your support uh, or, or I guess as, as the case currently may be lack thereof, for President Trump. I mean, were you like a day one Trump in the primary guy back in 2016? No, no I didn't think no, so.
2: No, I, I thought Trump was uh, this uh, left wing Democrat, New York hustler who was uh, trying. Well, I was a, I was a Cruz guy I wrote checks to Cruz. And if you know me, get me to write a check to anybody's like <laughs> uh But I wrote several and I, I just saw him. I just he's just not conservative. And I was on CNN a lot. As the guy who said, No, you're 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 just not a he's just not a conservative. But I liked what he was saying. I, I mean it wasn't like I, I just didn't believe him. You know, when he said, I wanna, you know, I want to stop illegal immigration, build the wall, well, so did I. And he was the only candidate talking about that, but I just didn't believe it was true. I just didn't think he was gonna do it. And um, you know, my guy lost fair and square. And I was like, okay, I'm a Republican. By the way, one of my favorite things right now is people going, you're a rhino. I'll only vote for Trump. OK, mm. where to begin? Um, but, you know, I a I, Republican. I went for the nominee and I thought he was going to lose and he didn't. And I think that was kind of a miraculous threading of the needle. And uh, then he surprised me by doing what he said he was going to do in large part. And I, I became a supporter. I, I was like, this is great. I enjoyed it, and I would frankly enjoy it if he got uh, elected again. Though I'm not sure he's the most effective guy. Uh, I, I, I think he is an effective guy. He did a lot of stuff against incredible headwinds, and the other, thing, and 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 we need to realize Trump has been the victim of incredible injustices, unbelievable injustices that are are really tearing up our our culture and our politics. Uh because now there are special rules for Trump, because he's so awful. And of course, those special rules now apply to everybody. So all of us, our half of America is an exception. We don't get a justice system. We don't get treated fairly by the media. We get targeted by giant corporations, all that kind of crap. So I I think the attack on Trump has been unbelievably damaging to the country. It's also been very illuminating about who our enemies are. Uh, which is nice. I just wish more people would understand that our enemies are our enemies and not our you know, friends we haven't met. Um, in any case, um, I thought Trump did a terrible job uh, of COVID uh, and, a, and a pretty bad job of the riots. Uh, I think his job, and I went and defended Trump uh, the, uh, the, 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 Republican side in the election in Nevada. I, I know the election had huge problems. And if some and, and when people go, well, you can't call it rigged. No, you, you actually can. You had fraud, you had, um, uh, unlawful changes to the election rules, and you had informal rigging, like hiding the laptop kind of things. So if you tell me that was a fair election, don't. And the Republicans are, oh, he, he's telling lies about the election. Right. Well, if he's saying, you know, magical dominion voting machines changed numbers. I, I don't know about any of that, but I know it was an unfair election.
1: Hugo Chavez from the dead, right? <laughs> yeah. Um.
2: um. So, you know, with, with Trump, you have an interesting case where you have a person who can be obnoxious, but he's also a victim right. and he really is a victim. He's been treated terribly and it's disgraceful. Um. But I'm a practical guy, Josh, man. I, I don't care about politicians. I, I mean, they, they mean nothing to me. I'm totally unsentimental. They're not my friends. I mean, I, I have friends who are politicians. but uh, I want the guy who's going to win. So my thing is electability and, you know, a bare modicum of he's going to be conservative enough in office. I think Trump will be conservative enough in office. I just don't. I just think he has a ceiling. I think he's very difficult for him to win. Uh, I'll vote for him if he gets nominated. I'm not. I don't think he's going to get nominated. I think DeSantis is. Uh, I think DeSantis has been masterful. But to say I'm anti-Trump is not technically correct, though I don't hesitate to pulling out when he does stupid things. You know, if somebody could talk to Trump and make him like listen, <laughs> I've never met a man who needs a sergeant major by his side more than Donald Trump. Um, but you can't. You know, the same Donald Trump who calls. Uh, uh, Stormy Daniels horse face is the same guy who holds uh, firm for Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> it's all the same. It, it's all, So the idea of like a Trump without mean tweets is just ridiculous. It just it, it can't be. And I. Um, but right now, I, I, I think he's gotten to a point where he is create a ceiling of about 46, 47 percent. And I don't know if that's enough to beat the desiccated weirdo in the White House. (laughs) And all I want to do is win. And I don't care if Trump. Trump was unfairly deprived of his election in 2020. Let's stipulate to that. Don't care. I, I don't care. It's not about his feelings. That means absolutely nothing to me. In fact, it annoys me when people bring it up. It was unfair to Trump. I don't give a shit. I'm not here to
1: be fair. I'm right. Well, it doesn't matter if we're not going to do anything about it. I mean, griping about the past is one thing. And I agree with you. I, but, but,
2: but people have done about it. I mean, look what DeSantis did. He reset the whole true, electoral system in, in and uh, both formally through laws and informally by reorganizing the Republican Party. Uh, Brian, uh, Kemp in Georgia went in and put in a bunch of laws that changed things. Abbott did, too. True. We've actually done important stuff. Where we could, where we had won elections, which again helps if you win. Um, I don't believe in glorious defeat. And, you know, that seems to be, well, in 2022, oh, well, you know, we should have won. Well, that's not good enough. And and it's all on you. I blame Trump. Now the bad guys did bad things, but I'm an army I'm an army guy. The commander's responsible for everything a unit does or doesn't do. Trump got rolled, I blame Trump. Okay, Carrie Lake got rolled. And I like Carrie Lake personally. I think she's a nice lady. Uh, I think she made some bad mistakes in her campaign. And she lost. And then... she lost.
1: No, she did. Look, I was I was with Carrie recently in Budapest. We were actually both part of the CPAC Hungary trip over there. So I spent some time with Carrie. Like, I was a huge supporter of Carrie Lakes on the campaign exactly. trail. I mean, I think we all exactly. were. I mean, I thought she was killing it on cable news. Whenever I saw her up, I was like, oh, my yeah. God. I was like, oh, my God. Like, she's like the next star. Like, she's like the next Ron DeSantis. But I mean, her conduct since she lost, I, I, I think has been horrible. I, I, I well, mean,
2: I, I, look, she didn't get it done. And at the end of the day, I, I don't care. Yeah, look, I'm a lawyer. Do you think anybody comes to me and goes, Kurt, give it a good try? No, you freaking either win or they find somebody else. Right. So, and I mean, I
1: I, I I mean, that's kind of the broader criticism that I have looking at the current kind of conduct of, of so many folks on our side right now is just this victimhood complex. I mean, back when I was coming up through the ranks, Kurt, to me, it seemed like the left was the one with the whole victimhood complex. I mean, that was the whole intersectionality stuff, that whole identity politics stuff. You, you know, but like, so many times now we see we on the right who have this persecution complex, this victimhood complex, me, 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 me. And like, to your point, to an, to an extent, that is absolutely justified. I mean, Trump genuinely has been a victim of an outrageously politicized law enforcement apparatus. to an extent that it's, it's absolutely right. But we, I, it seems to me that we are currently taking pride and joy in losing. I mean, is that how you see yeah, it? Yeah,
2: I, I, I don't think we are. I, I think there are some people. Look, Trump brought people into the Republican Party. And Selena Zito uh, puts them out in like seven different categories. And two of them are not actually Republicans, the way you and I would think about it. They are uh, regular people. They're good people, patriotic people. But they're not political people. They came in because they like Trump for various reasons. And they're dedicated to Trump, and the trick is to convince them to stay aboard uh, if, if Trump loses in the primary. And I don't know if that, how how much that's going to be possible. On the other hand, I think the uh, uh, DeSantis calculation has to be to bring back Repu- old old school Republicans who are not comfortable with Trump, and there there were a lot of them. And I, I, I look like I said I'm a pretty ruthless guy. I'm going to vote for the Republican to win, and I don't care if he's banging uh, Playboy Playmates on the side. That's of no interest to me. But you know who it's of interest to? A lot of other people. <laughs> and, you know, un- un- unfortunately, you know, this isn't a dictatorship with me as the, you know, dick. It's uh, uh, a-, a constitutional republic where a whole bunch of people get to vote. And we whether we like their uh, thought process or not, we've got to take it into account. And a lot of them just will never vote for Trump. Right. And it's not reasonable. It's not rational. And it's also something that's not going to change.
1: Right. On the one hand, I have a lot of people telling me, I mean, like, Josh, I mean, like, maybe you're being like a little too quick to write off Trump's 2024 chances. He shocked the whole world in 2016. I mean, he shocked me, of course. Right. But I could be wrong. uh, Right. But on the other hand, if you if you look at the data and like the the data is the best that you and I and everyone else out there has to go on right now. I mean, his favorability ratings with independents have simply plummeted since then. And
2: Uh, yeah.
1: And look, if if if, he, if he's going against, you know, the current guy in the White House, I mean, this desiccated corpse who is senile beyond any dis- descriptible measure, then, yeah, I guess like anything is fair game. But I mean, why would we why would we take that chance? I, I, I just don't understand it
2: because they're not about winning the election or this this small group we're talking about, these these little subcategories. Look, they just like Trump. I mean, that's. They're the guys who go out in uh, you know Tornado Alley to go see Trump at a rally.
1: I'm curious what you make of the tweets that I get back from some kind of only Trump people. So, you know, sometimes some people will say to me that the reason that we have to nominate Trump for the 2024 presidential cycle is because of what we were just discussing, because he has been so unfairly, unjustly prosecuted, and therefore we can't let them win. And, and that's
2: an argument. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not convinced by it, but it's not crazy. I get it. Sometimes you just want to shove, uh, shove something down the uh, other guy's throat, and 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 it does make a point. I, I get it. I understand. I don't think it's crazy. I think it's short sighted and wrong. I don't think it's
0: nuts.
1: No, it's definitely not nuts. I mean, like the to finish that thought, that argument basically goes that like we can't let you know we on the right cannot left let the left choose our nominee for us but i think it actually almost goes the, it kind of almost goes the other way around right i i mean if oh, we're yeah. saying if we're saying that it has to be him because he's been unjustly prosecuted then we actually are kind of letting them pick him well, right they, well
2: frankly if they had to choose their nominee they'd choose trump
1: right exactly
2: no they they, they want trump they think they're going to be trump they thought last time too they thought in 2016 um they didn't think it in 2020 uh but they, they they thought in 2016 they thought my god if they nominate trump we, we're gonna walk in, and 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 Trump won, and but the thing is, of course, Trump you know threaded like fifteen needles to get that. You know, I mean, this was, you know, if you're a Dungeons and Dragons kid and you're rolling the twice sided dice, he rolled a twenty. Right. Okay.
1: Right. Uh, so we're, um, I mean, we're recording this current on on May fifteenth on Monday. What what do you make of Trump's comments? Apparently, out just this morning. On the abortion issue. So one thing that's very interesting about the Trump 2024 campaign is he's not running to the right of Ron DeSantis and others. He, he is really running firmly in the center, at least when it comes to the policy. You know, his rhetoric, yeah. I th- his rhetoric is, is something else. But like yeah. he, he, he's running firmly as a centrist, it seems to me, when it comes to the actual policy.
2: The, the magic of Trump is that to win the primary, he's calculated he doesn't have to run on policy. Right. It doesn't matter what he says. I got people out there defending him. Uh, for kind of a very, you know, wishy-washy statement on Daniel Perry in New York. And they're just going through these yogi-like contortions to explain why Trump isn't going, this is a freaking uh, uh, abomination, like DeSantis said. Uh, you know, oh, he he don't want to get the New York uh, jury upset with him by us. He's really doing the guy a favor. Oh, yeah, because otherwise the New York jury is going to be super favorable. <laughs> um. It, you know, it doesn't matter what the policy is. And it. it th- this is why I don't argue with people on Twitter. I argue with people at work for money. But there, you know, people don't argue on Twitter. People have a point of view and then construct elaborate re- rationales for uh, uh, for not changing their minds. But they don't need them because they're not going to change their mind anyway.
1: Right. Right. No, I think that, I think that's well said. So Kurt, let's take it to a quick commercial break here. We're with the great Kurt Schlichter. He's a lawyer and senior columnist at Town Hall. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the other side.
0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's
2: going to be a shortage of welders.
0: VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career.
2: The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need.
0: Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Kurt, one other question that I I feel kind of compelled to ask you so you were also a Cruz 2016 guy so I, I was actually a law student during that i was a third year law student during the iowa caucuses yeah. you know and, not to just be a shameless self-promoter but if you go back and listen to ted cruz's iowa caucuses victory speech from i think it was february 1st 2016 he actually gave me my law school classmate a shout out because we had oh, nice. gone yeah we had gone we had gone from chicago out to iowa to campaign for him so all that's to say that like you i was a cruise guy in 2016 no yeah. no doubt about that but Do you ever get any kind of kind of it's deja vu all over again, looking at kind of folks like you and me and maybe some other similar people who were also kind of Trump skeptics the first time around? And to be clear, I became a a vociferous, vocal Trump defender, just like you did.
2: I wrote a book defending Trump, which I do not repudiate. I was absolutely right. Uh, No, I I I think it's a little different. Um, My problems with Trump right now or I think he's, you know, I don't think he's the most likely to win. And I think he's doing a bad strategy. I mean, like I said, if, if you if you could possibly advise Trump, I'd say sit there and talk about nothing but your accomplishments. Right. He has real accomplishments. I mean, I was making money hand over fist. So was everybody else. You talk about your real accomplishment. Don't go down. Don't do the meatball thing. That's just going to piss people off. Right. Build a coalition. But Trump doesn't. Win by building a coalition. Trump wins by energizing his group, uh, which is not immoral. I don't think it's immoral. I just think it's, you know, if that's your strategy, not sure how, how that pays off in the general.
1: It seems to me like Republican primary voters will have a basic up or down referendum proposition, which is you can have or try to have, you know, because then there's a general election. But in the primary, you can then try to set yourself up for four more years of the Trump show. Or not?
2: I don't think people want the Trump show. I, I, I th- they want the Trump policies, which is interesting for a candidate who's not about his policies.
1: So is that how you view R- Ron Sanders is basically Trumpism without Trump, so to speak?
2: No. Um, though, though Trump has shown the way on some of this. Trump was, look, Trump was a trailblazer uh, by talking about issues the elite told him not to. Right. You right. know, he, he was the guy who talked about things he wasn't supposed to and said things he wasn't supposed to say. And then sometimes did things he wasn't supposed to do. Well, th- that's what DeSantis does. But DeSantis is, is not an emotional politician. In fact, the, the big hit on him is he's unemotional. Right, right, right. Um, he thinks. This is a guy who thinks about what he's going to do. God forbid. And I, I knew guys like that in the military. You know, I, I like to think I was one of those guys. Well, I would do every night when I was in command – I would take a cigar and I would walk away from everybody. Sergeant Major, I'm going to go stand over there for a while. And I would think. And I would think about what I was going to do. What's my next move? Think. The, the idea, look, thinking is, you know, Trump is about emotional politics. Emotional is a, emotion is a component of politics because it's emotion of human nature. But man, thinking, is, thinking doesn't get, uh, get its due. DeSantis thinks, and he's thought ahead, and it's very clear he spent time building an organization. You don't get leaks out of there. There, there, you know. Susie Wiles obviously is the one who leaked the uh, uh, debate prep stuff, and uh, you know, boy, that, that that wasn't really that bad. Um, but but his people are very loyal, and he's he's a ser- he's serious about the business of politics. Trump is serious about the, the the being of a president. You know, he, he likes being the celebrity center of attention and he does get stuff done. I mean, I mean, holy crap. It, the, the ultimate Trump thing may be the way he moved the embassy uh, to Israel's actual capital. And everyone told him he couldn't. He said, well, I'm doing it anyway because I said I would. And they just did it. Oh, And he created the Abraham Accords, which were Middle East peace, which, you know, a guy my age, I remember my entire life watching the news back when the network news existed, was all about conflict in the Middle East. And Trump just, like, gets a peace treaty. Uh, uh, Israeli planes are landing in freaking Saudi Arabia. Wrap your head around that.
1: Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, the Abraham Accords, I mean, as I have said countless times, I mean, like he, w- he would have 100 percent gone the Nobel Peace Prize if his name was literally anything other oh, than, yes. than Donald Day Trump. And it wouldn't have even it wouldn't have even been a close call. Well, I mean, here's
2: the funny thing. He, you know, Obama starts wars freaking. Uh, uh, yeah, he gets a peace prize first weekend. Trump actually right. doesn't start right. any new wars. Right. He actually creates a giant peace treaty.
0: Right.
1: That's actually that's actually exactly where I want to take the conversation with you, Kurt, is on foreign policy in particular, especially given your your military background. So. You, you know i mean trump basically shifts the overton window within the gop within kind of yes. the, the conservative discussion on a whole host of issues whether it's trade yes. immigration foreign policy in a slightly more kind of nationalist some people might say populist direction
2: jacksonian
1: yeah jacksonian exactly and like that's the word that comes up time and time again there was that recent kind of lengthy new york times profile i think jonathan swan was the lead pen for the times back in march or so about Ron DeSantis' foreign policy the term jacksonian comes up time and time again Talk us through that, especially from the vantage point of someone who has served. Like, like What is the right conservative foreign policy?
2: I think America's foreign policy. And I, you know, I. I I find the whole although I'll slap around uh, a little Internet tough guys with the chicken hawk thing. I, I think the whole chicken hawk thing strikes me as intellectually inaccurate. However. You know. You, you can't have foreign policy created by guys who've never been in a fist fight, much less a uniform. Um, to me, you know, these guys, you know, they talk in a very big, big way. I think of specialist as Jimmy James, who's the first guy who ever died in front of me. And that was during the Gulf War. Mm-hmm. So if you're so if you're going to send my guys to war. I need to be able to articulate why to his parents.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's extremely well said. I mean, I, I've had conversations with our mutual friend, Jesse Kelly, who, of course, is a Marine yeah. Corps event. Jesse, yeah. Jesse, Jesse says basically the exact same thing. And, you know, I mean, to me, that is just yeah, I'm not
2: a pacifist, right. by the way, at, at all. But. You know, you've got it's got to be worthwhile. It's got to be thought through. Of course, it's got to be something uh, worth fighting for. And if it's worth fighting for, it's worth fighting for correctly. And I was in the Gulf War, man. I mean, that was the height of American power. We destroyed an entire army, 36 divisions in 100 hours. Hannibal would be sitting there going, holy stuff. <laughs> I mean, look what you guys did. I mean, can I move aside? This was an unbelievable power. I, I, I said in my last book, and I think I articulate it pretty well, I I I drove over. I was in the. I was at Seventh Corps Main Headquarters. I was in. I was so far in the back. You wanted to shoot me, you'd have to send the bullets by FedEx. Uh, I drove a drive over this hill into a valley, and there's nothing there. I mean, the desert, Saudi Arabia, northern Saudi Arabian deserts, one empty place. Three days later, I drive over that same hill from horizon to horizon. It's ammunition and supply dumps. It is power to have a battalion of tanks. That's power. Superpower is moving five hundred thousand men, all their equipment, and moving them across the desert to destroy your enemy. That is superpower, and that is what we had. And we were at the end of the Gulf War. The entire world was sitting there, slack jawed. Holy crap! We can't compete with this, and no one could. And we said, "Yeah, top of the world." History is now over. Thank you, Francis Fukuyama, and uh, we can stop trying. And now we're here, 30 years later, we have a peer competitor and, uh, in China uh, who, frankly, is buying much of our elite. Um, it's, you know, and we have just essentially unserious people. Look, if you think it's important to have gender identity programs in Afghanistan, you are the reason we lost in Afghanistan.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, how does that how does that crap, for lack of a better term, I mean, it is just pure crap? I mean, how does that crap make you feel like as a veteran? I can only imagine, right? I mean, like, no, do you I would
2: not get... in Afghanistan. No, of course not. I not in Iraq either. Uh, but imagine spending several years of your life, maybe getting wounded, maybe seeing your buddies get killed and then seeing a bunch of frivolous Ivy League jerk offs squandering it all. Yeah,
1: unbelievable. That's uh, truly just unbelievable stuff. I mean, you know, if Ron DeSantis is the next president of the United States, I, I have to imagine that combined with his you know uh, vociferous anti-woke stance combined with the fact yes. that, that he is himself a veteran you know i would have the thing that he is probably our best shot to kind of get this woke I, I military thing is. turned yeah. around
2: well we've got look i have been a huge advocate of focusing on the military that was the last major institution that people respected they don't anymore uh people will not join veterans like me will not recommend people join i absolutely will not I tell them no, don't, but it can be fixed. It's a hierarchical organization. What it requires is time and effort. You know, say Ron DeSantis gets elected. If I was Ron DeSantis, I would say, okay, chief of staff, I'd probably get Robert O'Brien, who was the best national security advisor probably ever, maybe as good as Kissinger. I would say, here's why I wanted to. I'm going to spend from 9 a.m. to 10.30 every morning doing nothing but fixing our military. Don't book me for anything else. I'm going to give time. A commander's time is his most powerful resource. I would start by giving generals orders. And short term, you're going to end all DEI programs. It's Monday morning. Friday morning, you're going to come in and brief me that you ended all DEI programs. Spoiler if your answer is anything but yes, sir, when I ask you if you've ended all DEI programs, I'm going to freaking relieve you. I'm not going to let you resign. I'm not right. going to let you retire. I'm going to fire you. Okay. And then I'm going to put your deputy in. And Monday morning, he's going to come in and brief me that he's completed my order. That's good. And then I would have a small team of guys. And you, and you once you do the military, because you can do it very fast. Every, soldiers do what commanders check. So you cut off a couple heads, stick them on pikes. Guys will get the message pretty quick, right? If you're checking wokeness, you'll get wokeness. If you're checking combat readiness, you'll get combat readiness. Um, Once you fix the military by spending time and effort, you will show that it is not a ratchet, that you can move back. And then you just monitor it. You have a small team of political guys on the net looking for the right example, Oh, Elmendorf Air Force Base. They've got a drag queen story hour. Terrific. Ding, ding, ding. Hi, Deputy Secretary of Defense. You and everybody down to the 03 in the chain of command are going to be here uh, day after tomorrow at 09 a.m. to brief me, the president, on exactly how you're going to uh, fulfill my intent because you're not doing that. What are your questions about how you're going to be here and what you're going to do? Thanks. Click one time. It's not that different from leading a brigade or a battalion. Um, You set a standard and you refuse to accept anything else. And, you know, uh, maybe you can't fire some of the civil servants, but you can transfer them to Poughkeepsie. Um, But you have to spend the time and the effort and, you know, the New York Times is going to cry that, you know, uh, Susie, the trans marine is really sad (laughs) because Z, uh, you know, isn't we're not doing trans things, you will wear the uh, clothes of your gender, you will be you will not have pronouns in your signature block, you will not address each other by any pronoun other than he or she. What are your questions about my order? And then when they do that, you freaking nuke them, and the good guys will go. Yes, he has our back, and the bad guys will just go. And then you will have an example. We have fixed the military. Now, Department of Justice,
1: right? The big Kahuna, right? Yeah. <laughs> you,
2: you you find it, prison rules, man. You you go into the prison cafeteria. You find the biggest guy, and you smash his head with a freaking tray. Ha ha ha.
1: Um, you know, like you alluded to it with the Poughkeepsie thing, which, by the way, I have to say, as someone who grew up less than an hour from Poughkeepsie, I take the slightest bit of offense. No, I'm kidding. I was it's I, just I, a funny
2: name. No, it's a, a, it's, a it's a very funny name. But,
1: but, um, <laughs> you know, I I have to say, um, uh, Roger Kimball, who is like you know as yeah, as, right as right. a conservative, if there ever were one, I try to keep up with Roger's stuff. He's had a, a number of columns over the past couple of years, basically saying that conservatives should prioritize much higher, basically the sh- the strip mining and shipping. Out of so many of these agencies yeah. to the American Interior, and oh, like, oh,
2: what well, brilliant idea! Why is the Department of Interior not in the Interior? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I, it, I, yeah. look, I think I'm no fan of the current uh, 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 bunch running uh, Colorado, but you know, Denver seems like a pretty big city near right. the middle of the country. Maybe Omaha, right? Oklahoma City. I mean, that look. We want people. That, you don't. Like, I've never read the Hunger Games, but I understand there's a big capital city and everybody, you know, <laughs> revolves around it. That shouldn't happen, right? We 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 need to have the departments out, and there's no look. If you can, if, most of these people were freaking commuting from their jobs by uh, 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 by Zoom anyway, and if they don't want to go, well, they quit. You know?
1: No, totally. I I I couldn't agree with that more, and like the the fact that something like four or five of the top 10 wealthiest counties and income per household are now in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan areas. It's literally one of the greatest scandals of our generation. So I I, I could not agree with you more. Um, Kurt, we're unfortunately starting to get a little short here on time. Uh, I think you and I could kind of continue this for hours and hours. Um, But if by some small chance the audience is not familiar with your Sterling work, where can they go ahead and find you?
2: Well, they need to read me at Town Hall every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm on Twitter at Kurt Schlichter. Go get my conservative action novel, Inferno. I'm writing the eighth one now. Uh, That's the seventh of the People's Republic series. They are so much fun. People love them. And unfortunately, I seem to be predicting things pretty damn well.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well... From your lips to God's ears, then about the 2024 presidential election. If you're if you if you're on a winning streak when it comes to predictions, but Kurt Schlichter, you're a friend and you're one of my favorite people in this space. So thank you so much for joining us this week.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, man.
1: So thanks again to the great Kurt Schlichter for joining us this week. I, I was really not trying to toot Kurt's horn or or boost his his ego or anything by saying that i haven't read the guy for a very long time big big fan of his columns and also just always able to inject no small sense of humor into some of these otherwise somewhat hair pulling and aggravating and at times somewhat stressful conversations. so really grateful for all of that i'm also grateful for kurt shining a spotlight on the various woes that that have been afflicting our military as i mentioned our mutual friend jesse Kelly the the Houston-based syndicated radio host has been a buddy of mine since he was literally selling RVs. So Kurt and Jesse, I think, are two of my favorite military veterans in the broader kind of conservative commentary space, and they never fail to do a good job of talking about veterans' issues, whether it be mental health, PTSD, all of this woke crap, this, you know, Mark Milley white rage stuff that has infiltrated throughout the entirety, it seems, of the U.S. Armed Forces and, and things of that nature. So... Thanks again to Kurt for joining us this week. And once again, just a quick plug. If you enjoyed this conversation with Kurt Schlichter, you really do need to go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. So please do go ahead and do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead, subscribe, leave us the five-star review, and just as importantly, go ahead and actually leave that hard comment in the comment section. Give us your feedback. We We obviously would prefer good feedback, but if there's anything that we're doing wrong, you tell us. We like to listen to our listeners' feedback, and we're always willing, certainly, to hear you out and we're always trying to kind of please our audience so we look forward to your comments there and once again we hope you enjoyed this conversation with the great kurt schlichter i'm excited to see what kurt has in store for him over the next few months he's always just an exciting voice so thanks again for that and we hope to see you next week so i'm josh hammer and we will see you next time